Okay, so welcome to the amazing Bronwyn Ballard, um, psychologist and coach who uses mindfulness a lot in the work that she does. She has previously worked with lots of corporate clients, but now focuses a lot of her time working in primary schools to teach mindfulness-based thinking skills. And she's authored one of our favorite books of all time, Your Mind is Like the Sky, with illustrations by Laura Carlin. We absolutely love this book at Mindful Magic, and all of our mentors rave about it to the parents and children they work with. So thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's thank really you. to have you here. It's <laughs> so lovely to be here and hear such sort of nice things about the book. <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, we were just talking about it earlier and we'll, we'll come we'll come on to it a little bit later because yeah it's uh, it really is quite fantastic but um with mindfulness everyone seems to come at it from different places and find it in different ways so i'd love to know when you first came across mindfulness what how did yeah. you yeah it's a good question isn't it i was thinking you i i think um it was much earlier i i started thinking about mindfulness as mindfulness I don't know, probably about relatively recently, probably about five years ago, about kind of using it professionally. But actually, when I think back, I started to get into meditation when I had my children, I think. And of course, you know, it's such an anxious time. And I've always been a little bit of an anxious person anyway. And the run up to having to giving birth was so I found it so intense. And one of the things I used was meditation. It wasn't necessarily mindfulness meditation. It was a lot more sort of around visualization and preparation for the birth. And I wasn't calling it mindfulness, mindfulness meditation, but that was my first experience of really getting kind of into the idea of noticing how you think and using your thoughts in a particular way. And it really helped me actually. And I used it in a really intense way, particularly kind of, as I got to the end of my pregnancies, I used it in a really intense way. Um, and then obviously, as soon as the babies arrived, it completely went out the window and I, there was absolutely no chance of me doing any meditation <laughs> or anything at all. And then so I left it for a while and then came back to it when I sort of started um, investigating mindfulness professionally. Um, and, then, and then when I came back to it, it was really because I was doing a lot of coaching with corporate clients and I was wondering how to one of the difficult things about coaching is really how to manage yourself so you can be really present when you're with somebody and, and really able to hear what they're saying and really focus rather than having that voice in your head, which is going, you should have asked this and you should have done that. You know, all of the little reflections about how kind of rubbish you've been. Um, and, um, and so I, I kind of went back to investigating mindfulness. It was really starting to get, popular then and I started off by getting the John Kabat-Zinn audiobooks mm. and just listening to him he has such a wonderful voice okay. <laughs> although one of the audiobooks he had quite a bad cold but the, uh, the other audiobook has the most wonderful voice and just listening to it kind of on repeat walking around Richmond Park which isn't kind of far from me um, just listening to the books on repeat and it's it's so interesting because every time I listen to, I do go back to them every now and then and every time I listen to them you kind of think oh, I did know that, but now I've understood another level of it. It's like, oh, yes, I know that, but also, oh, yes, it's so true. Well, all these sort of levels that you go through are really understanding what he's saying. So, so that was kind of where it started, really, and then just sort of 
And then I did a master's and mindfulness was very much part of my kind of positive psychology master's and became what I did my dissertation in. So then I got into the evidence base for it. So I sort of have come at it from a few different angles. I'm still, I still wouldn't say I was an expert. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any of us do to be honest no. anyone even you know the the Buddhist monks that I've heard speak even like yeah. Thich Nhat Hanh and even yes. you know I don't think that anyone calls themselves experts because it's it's so it's funny isn't it it's so simple on one, le- one level but yeah there's also so many it's about the feeling isn't it as well the the almost the explanation that you can't explain about what you get from it and how you understand it and how you understand the way that your thoughts work. I think that's so true. And the kind of connection with your body and your feelings and there are so many more different levels to it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's fun. It makes it interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Knowing that you probably won't ever be an expert makes it better. It's more fun. (laughs) Well, yeah. And also that everyone can access it too, as well. Even, you know, children can access it because it's something that really is is quite innate, I think. I think they're better at it than we are, actually, children. And I've noticed this of talking to talking to children in schools. I don't know if you found the same thing, but you all of if you ask them to reflect on what's going on in their heads, that's what they do. They just notice what's happening in their heads and they tell you about it. Whereas adults go through, you know, there's so much more of a filtering and screening process that happens before they will even speak. And a lot of that sort of sorting is happening, you know, unconsciously. So trying to unravel and get into all of that is so much harder for adults. Whereas children, it's just all there. Like, you know, the thought they had about something is on the same level as the fact that they can see an ice cream over there it's just all stuff that is available for them to talk about um which is why sort of talking to children about mindfulness is so interesting because they say such interesting things um and they're not hung up in all these loops that we're all hung up in already (laughs) yeah they just say it how it is they just see things exactly as they see them and I think sometimes as adults it can be really difficult to because we're always trying to work out where that's come from, where that thought's come from or why they're thinking a particular way. And they're yes. just, they're just feeling it. I don't know yeah. why. It just yeah. is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. They're so, clever little beasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they really are. So um, you said that you kind of, you understood you didn't you didn't sort of label mindfulness as mindfulness to start with which is something that I totally relate with as well because even though because I'd been teaching um Buddhism like academically Mm. to A-level students for years and then when I had children as well I started to I guess understand mindfulness and practice it but not really label it in that way um, yes. during pregnancy like you said as well so I definitely share that we definitely share that in common um yeah. but then I started to understand oh yeah this is like what everyone's talking about this is this you know popular phrase that people keep keep saying yeah um, so what how would you kind of summarize what mindfulness is I t- when I when I talk to children about mindfulness, I talk about, and actually I think it's, a, um, who is it? Is it Dan Harris, Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics? He has this great phrase, which is knowing what's going on in your head without getting carried away by it. And I really like that because it's sort of separate from the practice or, you know, the process of meditation or, you know, it sort of adds complicated levels to it. 
and you know there are lots of different academic definitions of what mindfulness is and the practice of it you know the measurement of it the sort of from a psychology point of view it's very hard to pull out you know what the active ingredient of mindfulness is actually because um a lot of the programs are so tied up in yoga and that kind of thing as well like the, the mbsr has a sort of yoga element to it so trying to pull out what exactly it is, is can be very complicated and i really like that kind of simple idea of just knowing what's going on in your head without getting carried away by it so like being instead of being in the flow of traffic in a motorway being able to just hop out at the side and just notice what's going on all the traffic that's going back and forth so that then you can make a decision about you know which car you're going to jump back into and whether you're going to take that seriously and you can just notice whether the traffic is really busy today or whether it's a bit quieter today and actually how powerful that is when you start to notice that it gives you so many options that you didn't have before um and i like you know particularly for children i like the idea that it is just noticing what's happening in your head without being judgmental. Um, you don't have to sit down and meditate. So many people find that so hard to do. I mean, I wouldn't say I find it easy. Um, I'm one of the fellow strugglers. Um, and, you know, it's really hard to do. So knowing that you can, you know, just noticing while you're cleaning your teeth what's happening in your head, it, that's mindfulness. It's all, it all counts and it's all really helpful. Yeah, I'm totally, totally on board with that. I totally get that definition. Um, someone who wrote, Michael Singer, I think his name is, who wrote mm. The Surrender Experiment. I don't know if you've yes. read that, yes. but he talks about it in the same way, that that like running commentary that we've got going through our heads all the time. And yeah. we we almost can't separate the commentary with what's actually happening in front yeah. of us. Um, yes. And... Like almost like we've got two things going on in our brain, like the the kind of background talking and and how yeah how we just notice just notice exactly what's like what's happening, what's really happening. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just it's such a powerful thing. It's such a tiny little switch to flick, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. noticing, like without getting you know swept along into the stream of it. Just noticing. It's such a powerful little switch. To flick and I think that's why I wrote the book really it's to try to just introduce that switch like the idea that there is a switch <laughs> it's kind of a really big idea if you could just get the hang of it a little bit yeah where did the imagery come from for the book <sighs> I don't know I mean I, I actually have no idea where the imagery came from I've been reading a lot of stuff and it's sort of a classic, it's not a new image in relation to mindfulness. It's a classic image, isn't it? That kind of clouds in the sky. And um, I, th I think it was sort of floating around in my head, so to speak. And then um, my daughter and I, so at the time we used to go and have a, used to go and do a Friday afternoon at the pool when she, she was about four. And we used to go and have a swimming afternoon at the pool every week because her big sister was at school. Um, and she was at nursery the rest of the week because I was working. So it was a really precious time. And we'd go and have, generally have a lovely time at the pool. And on this one occasion, she was splashing around and having a really good time. And then she noticed that there was another child who was a little further down who was sort of jumping in from the side and she couldn't do that yet. 
and she sort of had a total strop. <laughs> and so it went and he says, oh, I can't do that, I'm useless, ah, you know, in that sort of very small child kind of a way. And my heart sank a bit because I, you know, it's such a precious day, the only day in the week that I get to spend with her. And um, it was all going downhill. I could just see, you know, us having to spend the rest of the time in the pool trying to get her out of this mood. And mm. it was all going to be a bit less fun than I had imagined. So, and I had been reading a lot about mindfulness and I'd been um, experimenting with different kinds of questioning with clients. And I quite often experiment on the kids when I'm trying to figure out what questions work and how things you know, if I say this, well, where will that take you? And so I just kind of said, okay, so look, you've had an idea, you've had a thought that's come into your head, um, but, you know, that's just a rain cloud thought and there are lots of other thoughts and you can decide if you want to take that seriously or not, but we could just let that one go and then we could carry on having fun. And she kind of went, oh, okay, yeah. And then just <laughs> carried on having fun. And just having, I have no idea, I must have, I have no idea where that came from, but it was such a useful way of talking to her about it that then afterwards I was just thought, I've got to, I need to write this down so I can talk to her about it again, because, you know, it just seems to have really worked. That was a big switch that I flicked and I want to be able to do that again, which is kind of how I ended up writing it. So no idea where the imagery came from, but. It worked, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, it does. I mean, I was I was saying before that with my three-year-old, she understands the imagery, and she she when we were because we've read the book loads and loads of times, and she's it's always one that she picks as well to read. Oh, that's so um, nice. <laughs> <laughs> and she just she totally gets that you know some thoughts are like rain clouds, and they might hang over, and you might not like yeah. them. And some clouds are, you know, like fluffy white clouds, but they all float away. They all come and they go. Yeah. And we, I mean, we're still kind of delving into it every time that we read it. You know, we get more from it and we notice more about it. But as a parent too, mm. that's why I recommend the book so much because as parents, I think it's quite easy to hang on to, oh, my child is, you know, really... Um, anxious or really stressed out or really angry and yeah. it's going to stay like that you know like you can get really worried that it's going to stick around and it's going to be yeah. really like an ongoing problem yeah that it's really valuable I think to just notice oh look and now it's it's gone even if it's just for a moment and maybe it comes back but then it goes again and things do yeah. change all the time I think that's so true and I, I think you know there's so much in the press now as well about you know, the awful statistics on children's mental health and the prevalence of anxiety and depression. And I think it's part of what all of us are worrying about trying to guard against as our children grow up. But in a way, and it's, you know, it's really important to be vigilant and to try and help them in every, any way you can. But in a way, this pattern evolves where we're anxious about the thought of being anxious. Yeah. And, it, you know, it just sort of turns into this snowball that gets bigger and bigger and actually you know anxiety some worries are so normal and all of us are normal and we have our all of us are, are different we have our own natural settings and some of us are very sensitive and just because you have these thoughts 
you know, it doesn't mean that there is anything wrong. It's part of being human. If you get to the point where those are all, you know, the rain cloud thoughts are all the ones that you have and they persist and they're around for a long time. Mm. Yes, then, then we need to look at that. Um, and I hope, I hope that the book sort of helps provide a little bit of language maybe around some of those things. Um, but this idea that, um, you know, we can feel all the feelings associated with the dark rain cloud thoughts and all you need to do is just be in them for a little bit and then they they go and it's amazing how powerful we can be as parents when we just let children feel those things and sit with them and are there to help rather than just try and pretend they're not happening or distracting them out of things you know letting them feel those things and being with them and letting children know that they're loved and you know, all of those things are incredibly powerful, even if we aren't powerful enough to banish all the rain cloud thoughts altogether, <laughs> which we all wish we were, but it's just not possible. <laughs> I know, and that's it. And I think right at the end of your book, because you give a little, um, some like explanation and guidance for parents. And yes. I love what you write at the end. Um, I think really the very last thing you write about, we don't have the, pa- the power to banish our children's rain cloud thoughts but we can let them know that sadness comes and go, that they're stronger than they think and that no matter what we love them. And I just think that's just, it's such a lovely way to, to end and it's such a powerful message for parents to take away. Oh, good. I, I, such a hard thing, isn't it? As a parent, you, and I think I still have to struggle with it almost every day. Like the, you know, actually particularly as my older one now is sort of becoming a teenager and you can't, um, yeah, I would really love to be able to jump on in and prevent her having any difficulties <laughs> or, you know, any friendship problems or failure at school or all of those things. I would love to march on in and fix it all for her. Um, and there's a big part of me every day that's just, oh, I wish I could just go and solve everything. Um, but we can't and we would be doing them a disservice if we did. So finding a way of just letting them know that it doesn't go on and on these difficult things don't go on and on and they will get through them is the best that we can do I think yeah yeah (laughs) without burst without bursting into tears (laughs) myself right now at the thought of it (laughs) so all of this has obviously had a big impact on the work that you do because you are working with a lot of corporate clients yes and and you are working in schools now as well. So what, what, what is the work that you do and how has mindfulness kind of influenced all of that? Well, I ended up, um, I did a master's a few years ago um, in applied positive psychology and coaching psychology. And I ended up, I wasn't really planning to, but I ended up focusing on mindfulness during that. I just found it so interesting and I was doing more and more of it myself. And so I ended up, um working with one of my colleagues there um who he had produced an online mindfulness program um for adults um which is a combination of positive psychology and mindfulness and um with him i turned that into a children's program that you deliver in school so um i did that for my dissertation i kind of did it in a pilot school around the corner um and then they asked me to go back and do that again um, as a proper piece of work with the whole of 
year three upwards. So we've been um, running, and it's a six-week program of kind of mindfulness-based thinking skills. So we take some of the key concepts in positive psychology, and we start off with kind of self-awareness, and then we build up and um, look at feelings and where they come from and, um, you know, how we deal with them. And then we talk about mistakes and self-compassion and kind of what, how hard it is to make mistakes and how we know that we need to make mistakes. But even though we know that, it still feels really difficult and how you cope with that. Um, and then we introduce, you know, some of the positive psychologies, evidence-based concepts. So things like gratitude and savoring and the things that you can do to really get the most joy out of all the little experiences that you can have. So the idea with it is to really just get children noticing how they think and starting to um, engage with the idea that you can make decisions about how you think. And there are some specific techniques that you can use, including mindfulness and sort of gratitude practice and that kind of thing. But if you want to, and if it works for you, you can use those things to kind of build your own resilience and self-belief and, um, and those kinds of things. So, and that's been really good fun. It's gone, gone really well. Um, not all children love meditation, but a lot of them do. Um, and so um, hopefully it's a really good little toolkit that they now have that they can use whenever they want to. That's wonderful. It is amazing, yeah. isn't it? How the majority of children seem to, even if it's a bit of a novelty to start with, the meditation, they're yes. all kind of like, oh, this is, this is different. Like I'm actually yeah. getting a chance just to sit and to be for a little bit um, and not have to do something. All yeah, time. I think it's weird. It's particularly weird in a school context because, you know, literally you get in you go from math lesson into a meditation session and that's a slightly odd juxtaposition <laughs> um, in some ways the kind of difference between the doing 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 school is all about doing and then you have a half hour for being and then you go back to doing and some for some people find that um some people really enjoy the, the shift and just get straight into it and some people find it a bit hard to navigate the difference between the two um, but uh, it's amazing how many of them have said it's really helped them with sleep in particular, really helped them sleep, really helped them with kind of calm and self-management, but also just knowing that if they make mistakes, they can pick it up and start again, basically. You know, they're not, um, how making a mistake is a human experience. You know, we all do it. We've all been there. Even though when you make a mistake and things go wrong, it feels like you're completely on your own and you're the only one who's ever made that mistake. Yeah. Um, actually feeling like that is part of what connects you to everybody else. Um, and I think that's been quite a helpful thing to talk about at school like that, that experience that we all have. And what has the response been by the teachers? It's been really good. Actually we've, um, I made the teachers stay in the class. So my hope was that we could slightly surreptitiously run the course for teachers um, at the same time, but I really wanted them to take part in the course and take part in the discussions. Um, because then when I go away, I leave them with meditations that they run during the week. So I kind of want them to be on board with it, but also it gives them a bit of language and a, a bit of and some techniques that they can use themselves. Um, 
which can seem like a bit of a hassle, especially when you're a teacher, because they are so busy. Um, but, um, you know, things like a gratitude journal, just even noticing what's gone well during the day can make such a big difference to your sort of emotional resources and resilience. Um, and so the, the feedback from the teachers has been really great. Um, and I think they've all enjoyed it and some of them have said actually I found it personally really useful and you wouldn't necessarily have known that but it's been it's kind of given me quite a nice bit of support while we've been going through so um, I think that's a really important part of it because I think teachers are just incredible I'm endlessly in awe of them and so trying to find a way of supporting them when budgets are so tight um, is really important to me so yeah, seems to have been good for them so far. <laughs> so more of that hopefully to come. <laughs> yeah. And what, what that kind of leads me into what you see as challenges with schools and with the education system at the moment, because it's one of, I've just left teaching. So yes. I, uh, yeah. I, kind of, I kind of, this is a big part of why I do all of this. Yeah. And I think there's quite a lot that... When did you leave teaching? Uh, like four weeks ago <laughs> okay oh wow so really recently yeah yeah, yeah. but this or mindful magic has all kind of come from it I mean yeah I was doing it before and it's I just think there's quite a lot that that's that yeah. we maybe need to tackle I mean so we can arm our children there's too. there's so so what was the question so what do you think the biggest challenge is for schools and the education system I mean I'm I'm a school governor, um, so I I can see what's happening with the funding in schools. I mean, everyone can see what's happening with the funding in schools. And if, I think schools do such an incredible job of covering, you know, the quantity of the work that they cover, the flexibility required of teachers, the level of responsibility that teachers take on every day for all the children in their class. You know, most of the parents don't see um, what teachers get involved with. I think a lot of the time, you know, all the sort of background care of the children and, uh, you know, any safeguarding requirements and all of that is so complicated, such a level of responsibility. Um, and teachers are absolutely pulling out all the stops. And I think what happens is teachers are so passionate about what they do that they can't prioritize themselves and they are all at major risk of burning out and the system is running on the sort of borrowed efforts of teachers and it's only going to get worse with the current funding situation because um you know it's just cuts are just creeping into schools if schools weren't struggling already they're going to be struggling in the next year in quite a dramatic way um which is heartbreaking so yeah <laughs> i mean i there is so much that needs to be done i and teachers need a lot more support and uh, you know at the same time we've got a sort of focus on well-being and pastoral care and sort of broader curriculum from ofsted and all of that is absolutely right. I'm fully on board with all of that. And yet, to make that happen, it requires teachers who are well and happy and fully present in their classrooms. And you can't do that when you're stretched to the limit, looking after 30 children of incredibly complex needs for you know a week at a time 
with very little support. So, you know, we need to, yeah, it needs to change. <laughs> it's not good. Yeah, no, I, I hear you completely. <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> it's quite a, it's quite overwhelming, isn't it? To, to know and to see you being a mm. governor as well to, to see, you know, exactly how, how it is and all yes. that, that we have to, that we've got to do as a society, because yeah, at some point there is going to be, I think there's going to be a, a breaking point. Um, yeah. And it's only going to have an impact on everyone because, you know, every, everyone is involved in the education system in some way. Like, yes. even, if, even if people take themselves out of the education system, they can still see what's going on. Um, yeah. and there's still going to be knock-on effects to, you know, to children and, and then societies, those children grow up. And it's just, it's, it is such a big thing. Um, do you think there's any starting point? Like, what? What, what what's the start where do we start where do we start i yeah it's yeah it's so difficult isn't it in a in the current political environment to make any headway on anything that isn't brexit related um you know i think governors have a role in kind of campaigning and trying to make changes happen um i we just need, all need to keep up the pressure up and keep the conversation going and not take teachers for granted, I think. Um, and parents need to get noisier, I think. And it, it, it's a problem because, you know, schools, sooner or later, all schools are going to be writing to parents saying, we need you to contribute. Um, and then, you know, that's fine in affluent areas um, and less fine in less affluent areas. And, and suddenly, you know, the disparity between the people who have got a lot and the people who don't have a lot gets even more noticeable. And it's just sort of another layer of what's happening in general. So I think, you know, I think parents need to get noisier. Um, you know, we need to make sure that this doesn't sort of just happen in the background without people noticing. Um, we need to try and fight against all the other headlines, which are very, very loud at the moment. It's yeah. not Brexit, it's climate change. So many crises. <laughs> but so many the crises. Same, yeah, but then at the same time, there's also, there are, there are so many things that look like they're going really wrong, but there's also so much that's going right as well, isn't there? There's so mm. many, there's so much movement towards, you know, people understanding the importance of wellbeing, for example, as well, which yes. um, as long as it's not another thing for teachers to do all the time, yeah, that, yeah. that we have to like, it's, it's not uh, another thing to tick off the list. It's not another thing that we have to, you know, have targets in and make sure that we achieve the targets. It's not, it's not that it's, it's just part of making sure that we're all okay collectively, yes. yeah. um, which is hard to define and hard to measure, but it's, yeah, I think that's, I think it's, there's the, I think so much has changed. Like even in the last few years, so much has changed when it comes to mental health and wellbeing. I think our attitude has, you know, dramatically changed our, everybody's eyes are a lot more open every day. There's a story in the press about, mental health um which is really fantastic and so i think that is incredibly encouraging you know just registering that as something that we 
can all take seriously. It's a brilliant focus. What would you like to see for our children in the future? What would you like to see? <sighs> such a <laughs> that's such a big question. Uh, also, I'm tempted to burst into Whitney Houston. Um, uh, <laughs> I mean, I think um, I, at a sort of individual level, I, I just think um, happiness, <laughs> happiness. Um, which sounds very trite, but I think, you know, when you stand and look at a class of children who all have incredibly different abilities and different strengths, and some of them are more academic and some of them less like academic, but all of them have their own strengths and kind of values and characteristics and their own way of doing things. And what I really want is a, a school environment and a home environment that helps all of those children use whatever it is that makes them them in the best way possible like they all have their own little mix of ingredients whatever they are some of them are very very complicated and some of them are much more straightforward and finding you know whatever their whatever they can do that nobody else can do that's what will make them happy um, and i think you know really trying to help children just be the best Version themselves, I do sound like Whitney Houston again. <laughs> but, uh, you know, whatever that is, so like no, no one path, like whatever that is for each of them, um, you know, using their own strengths. And I think schools, um, some schools, you know, I'm lucky my children are at a school where, you know, they take that very seriously, whatever version of themselves they want to be, they can kind of be stretched into and develop into and they're each their own little person but I think a sort of focus on targets and stats you know when children are going in and doing maths papers for you know three weeks every day and that's all they do before sats just so they can hit their targets that's that's exactly not <laughs> that's exactly not bringing out the best in all of those children so you know as schools have a role in just noticing what children are like and finding ways to bring out the best in them and as parents like not getting pulled into that sort of train of achievement like you know the number of parents who at the age of five are already thinking okay so we're gonna to need to get this child into this school and then so we're gonna to need to get the because we're aiming for this university like you don't know five what they're like or how they're gonna be mm. that's that's not what happiness is so um whatever whatever it is for each child that's what i want sounds a bit sappy. I love that. no i love that <laughs> i love that i love that because it's so easy for us isn't it to get caught up with the success achievement that's what we're talking about yeah yeah and parent you know parents we get we get rolled into it don't we like oh god okay so this is the thing that i should be worrying about now okay well everyone else is worrying about this so i should worry about that otherwise i failed somehow mm. just you know stop and notice whether that is really something that you care about or not because before you know it you'll be swept into it to be 10 years on and you'll be in a system that you didn't really want in the first place yeah. <laughs> just yeah Make sure you know what you want, I think, for your children, what that looks like. Yeah, rather than what you feel like you should do or should. Have. Yes, what everybody else is doing. Yeah. Mm. 
I've got a few um, kind of quick fire questions for you. Oh God. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so my first one is what does joy look like for you today? Sunshine, I think. Um, do you want a longer, do you want an expansion on that? If you want to. <laughs> um, I think I'm turning into my mum because when we were growing up, my mum my mom would just be, oh, look at the trees. They're so beautiful. Autumn, she's just be off. Oh, the trees are so wonderful. And as I get older, maybe it's getting older or maybe it's, you know, working on gratitude and savouring and those sorts of things. I look at the trees and think, oh, the trees. <laughs> sunshine on the trees so wonderful um the little moments the little moments yeah Mm. and big moments as well but little moments there are so many little moments yeah (laughs) when was the last time you were really in flow i think coaching probably the thing about coaching is you have to clear your mind completely and really hear what somebody else is saying and so you get completely you can't completely be in flow I suppose because you also have to keep an eye on the time and that kind of thing but um yeah I think probably coaching or working I have a, a couple of colleagues that I work with and just the experience of creating things with them is just wonderful you sort of get an hour in and think oh I don't know that time just sort of disappeared you know coming up with ideas with other people that's another flow situation for me or swimming as well swimming is a big flow lovely yeah. <laughs> um speaking to any parents listening who maybe they have maybe they're newborn maybe otherwise what's the oh. one thing that you'd want them to know i think Oh, it's so hard. I just think about having a newborn and it's so wonderful and awful (laughs) and exhausting and all those things at the same time. And um, what's the one thing? I think you don't have to think all of it is brilliant. (laughs) I think it's fine for a lot of it to be really boring and exhausting. Um, because it really is. I think when I had my smaller, my older child, when she was very small, I was really lucky because I had a good friend who felt exactly the same way as me. So we would go out for long walks and moan about how noisy the children were and how boring it was to be doing all this stuff when we had been doing jobs that we really enjoyed and it was just exhausting and we were physically exhausted and yes they were wonderful and we were happy and it was amazing and oh it was so tedious um (laughs) and it was really good to be able to talk to her about all of those things because she understood she understood all of that i couldn't have said it to i don't know my mother-in-law because she probably would have found that a difficult thing to hear that i was finding it all incredibly tedious so some people i couldn't have said that kind of thing to but um and everybody wants you to be finding it enthralling and often it isn't um there's just so much everyday stuff to get through isn't there so i think it's my thing would be it's all right for it not to be all brilliant and 
find somebody to talk to about it because it makes such a big difference like having conversations um with other people who kind of understand a bit is really important such an intense time mm. amazing but also oh, not for the faint-hearted yeah no <laughs> <laughs> Parenting generally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, parenting generally. As I understand, having children who are now approaching teenage years, <laughs> it's all just about to kick off. And <laughs> <laughs> um, um, my last question for you is that we talk a lot about your joy default in Mindful Magic. Yeah. What do you hear in that? It's so interesting that because I, uh, it just made me think of. Um, at one point when I was doing my doing my dissertation and doing a load of corporate work at the same time, which wasn't meant to have happened, but scheduling never works out. So I was doing all of it at the same time and I was busy right, spending the whole day kind of writing the, the, about the evidence base for mindfulness. And I um, thought I, I had to make sure that while I was writing this, I was very much practicing mindfulness do, you know during the course of writing it. it was a sort of important part of doing it making sure that I was doing it properly and at one point I sat down and I was absolutely sort of frenetic like you know when your heart's beating and I couldn't sleep I was just so wired that I because I had this deadline and I just was um and I sat down to meditate sort of on the second day I was going through a rough patch and sat down to meditate and noticed there was so much anxiety and worry and sort of sickness for anxiety and then as I kind of sat there I did notice that somewhere at the bottom there was this huge joy that I hadn't noticed and if I hadn't sat there I would not have noticed that underneath all of this stuff I was experiencing as sort of nausea and stress and lack of sleep there was also this huge sense of enjoyment that I was doing something I really enjoyed that it was really intense I quite like working like that sometimes I knew it wasn't going to go on forever um and so it was really so when you talk about and I've kind of listened to you on the podcast talking about joy defaults it makes me think of that the sort of the idea that there is there are layers and quite often um, now I'm lucky enough to notice that there is this sort of well of joy that is there if I just stop to notice and enjoy it. And when I talk to the children at school about savouring, there are all these things that they notice um, that they hadn't noticed before. There's a boy in year six who said he noticed that the shower water on his shoulders in the morning was just really good. And after he said that, every time I step in the shower, I'm like, oh, that's so true. <laughs> so true. <laughs> There's so much joy in hot water on shoulders. So, yeah, there's hidden joy everywhere if we just stop and find it. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Um, oh, you're so welcome. It's been so much fun. <laughs> And, um, <laughs> and just a reminder to everyone your book your mind is like the sky um uh, yeah we um we go on about it all the time so it won't be the last time that you hear about it um with anything related to mindful magic but thank you so much from when i really appreciate chatting oh you're really welcome and a note on the book it's actually being reprinted at the moment so oh, okay. some some shops are finding it 
hard to get hold of, but it will be available in June. Yeah, <laughs> Just great. so you know. <laughs> Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. All right. Take care. Right. Bye. Now. Take care. Bye.